coming up on Art Palace. And then, like, a flying train comes. Right. And it's Doc and Mary and, and their two, two kids, kids Jules, Jules and, and Vern. Vern. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Danielle Lin, who is content editor for Everything But The House. Today we are doing a tour inspired by the Back to the Future trilogy because we are excited that Mount Adams Cinema in the City will be showing Back to the Future Part 2 on June 22nd at the Season Good Pavilion, right across the street from us. The Art Museum is open until 8 p.m. that night, so stop by before the show and check out the pieces we discuss, or use this episode as an audio tour. We'll let you know when we are about to move to a new gallery, and you can pause whenever you hear music. You'll probably want a map from the front desk unless you know the gallery numbers by heart. We begin our tour on the second floor, Gallery 231, in front of Pete Rose by Andy Warhol. Do you do, you, do you a good uh, Huey Lewis impression? <laughs> <laughs> mm, can't no, say that's in no. my repertoire. No, no like uh, no power of love that we could start out with or anything. <laughs> that might I have to move the mic back. Yeah, um, yeah. If you're it's gonna the power of love. Yeah, see, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's, that's, I think the best I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we are at, um, in gallery 231. Now that I said that, I'm going to double check that because I'm doubting myself. Yes, we're in 231. Can you believe it? 231. Um, and we are making our first stop here on our travel through time. Well, actually, we haven't started the travel through time. We're in the present, 1985. <laughs> Go back in time. Yeah. But, you know, for Back to the Future 1, the present is 1985. And so I thought we'd start with Pete Rose uh, by Andy Warhol. And this piece actually was made in 1985. It was a good year. Yeah, and I thought it was cool because, wait, wait were you born in that year? I was born in that year. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Well, um, I I uh, was just excited because this piece is both from 1985, but it also really feels like the 80s. <laughs> it is the most 80s. Yeah. Um, and I guess it also, it, it in the future of, in Back to the Future Part 2, mm. in the 80s cafe, it looks like it should be in the 80s cafe. Yes, totally. Yeah, exactly. Like it would fit in perfectly with Pepsi Perfect <laughs> and the the video game machine. And uh, it's it's an embodiment of the 80s in yeah. a way that is hard to get and it's hard to create a facsimile of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if you watch almost anything, I feel like set in the 80s too where there's sort of like a famous person, they'll always have like a faux Warhol portrait of themselves oh, in their yeah. office. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yes. It's a way to show how 
like important they are uh-huh. and or conceited they are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that they have a Warhol of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's a little trick of the trade in uh, movies and television. Just uh, print out a fake Warhol. Yep. I, you know what? I've made some fake Warhols. I did it for our, our Arts Wave campaign not too long ago. And I will say, it's harder to do than you would think. Like making fake Warhols, it seems like it should be pretty easy. You're just like, yeah, yeah, slap some different colors in there, whatever. But like getting those colors right is not as easy as you'd think. Well, I guess it's like, you know, when you watch SNL or just any kind of comedian who does impressions Mm -hmm. and trying to capture that essence. And it's not exactly, you know, you don't want to trace a Warhol. Right. But capturing just the right colors and just the right textures that indicate Warhol and what if somebody was to look at it and say yes yeah like there's there's a few more things going on in here than you might expect I've always like it's always interesting to me that just like the text where that says Pete Rose and then the outline of Mr. Red Mm -hmm. is is like blue in most of them but then it's black in this bottom left one yellow in the top yeah, Flash. but then the Mr. Red is yellow in that one, but then the text is still blue. Like, it's yeah. it's pretty, like, there's a few more things going on that you would expect, and the outline of mm-hmm. the bat and his hair is blue in some of them, too. A good um, point, yeah. And not in others. And so there's just, like, these little tiny differences that you don't really pick up on. Yeah. Another thing I noticed, so, I don't know, we were doing some kind of research on this piece, and we found the source photograph that Warhol worked from. Mm-hmm. He didn't take, so you know, a lot of Warhols, he would take the photos himself. Yeah. And himself, he's multiple, he kind of is multiple <laughs> people, kind right? Of is. Like, so Warhol is not just like one person, really. Like a Warhol is usually probably had like. Is the factory. Is the factory, probably. Who knows if he ever actually even touched it, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, the, I noticed on the, on his helmet there, it's got the little, reflection you see coming down from the sea yeah um so in the actual photo like that is just as bright as the sea interesting so like he had to go in and adjust that to make the logo stand out more because in the actual photo it just totally gets blended in with that reflection and it just all almost looks like you know I don't know, a nine yeah. um, because it just all comes together. Yeah, I can see that being really confusing and like difficult to parse by the eye. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that he he went in and, you know, kind of painted that in probably on the screen to uh, conceal that when the red went down mm-hmm. to, to fill that space in with the red screen. Sure. Was the original photograph for a baseball card? I think it was. It it just it looks yeah it doesn't look live action yeah but it looks like kind of those those typical poses it was some sort of I, I'm I'm not one hundred percent positive on that but it was some sort of promotional photo that existed for some other reason than you know for this yes um and then it's kind of interesting because all of the sort of setup of the Reds icons and his name which looks very baseball card Mm -hmm. but isn't it's not really taken from a real baseball card it's just sort of designed to look like that so it's like somebody trying to come up with what a baseball card would look like in 2015 in 1985 (laughs) (laughs) so so it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy that he's i don't know he's 
again, it's like one of these things that maybe doesn't look like work because it's like, oh, it's like if you just came in, you probably think, oh, it's a baseball card that he's taken that image. But actually, it's not like he set it all up to sort of appear like a baseball card to Mm -hmm. read as that um, really quickly. And if you don't know a lot about Warhol, that's that kind of is in line with a lot of his other work where he's sort of doing things that are meant to just almost blend in. Like he has these famous pieces that look like Brillo boxes Mm -hmm. that are just wood. The boxes are actually wood, but they're painted um, so that they just look like stacks of cardboard boxes that would Mm -hmm. contain Brillo pads. So there's this like interesting thing of like putting a lot of effort into making something blend as just totally mundane in a way. Like you've actually done a lot of work, but it's really hidden and nobody really notices it. So sure. But yeah, uh, other things, if we're traveling in time here, I think it's really interesting that this piece is made before the baseball scandal. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The gambling scandal, I should say. Yeah. Correct. Well, I mean, this is such an appropriate piece given the subject matter of parts, part two in particular of Back to the Future. Yeah. Not only is it about sports, but Pete Rose kind of embodies betting on sports. Oh, Oh my gosh, I just, I'll be honest, I just picked it because of the year (laughs) and kind of the aesthetic. I totally forgot that like the whole point of it is like Biff is gambling on On sports sports. because he gets the 1950 to 2000 sports almanac, right? which Pete Rose would have been in. That's true. So All the 85 sports and well, you know, even back to Big Red Machine. Mm Mm-hmm. Earlier and in his uh, managerial days, which was the real issue with his betting. Yeah. Well, hmm, that's crazy. Didn't even think about that as being a nice tie-in, but there we have it. I was thinking. I think I was just thinking of this as is uh, embodying just the almost very beginning of the movie, which you don't really actually think all that much about anyway. Sure. I was thinking about how like Marty McFly's sister is like such a weird character. <laughs> She's like not in it that much <laughs> at all. <laughs> Dude, I don't even can't even remember her name right now. This is where we consult Pants Computer to Pants Computer to find out the real answer. Because if if you're listening and you don't and you know it, this is the most maddening experience. Oh yeah, ever. you're writing angry emails to us right. as we speak. Like how dare you, people? <laughs> That's how they all start. <laughs> how dare you? I would be so lucky to get hate mail. <laughs> print it out make your own warhol-esque yeah print from the hate mail linda i was close with lauren yeah but just linda does not linda. sound like a i don't know we're teens in the 80s named linda i guess i think you i'm stealing this from kimmy schmidt the most recent season <laughs> but women aren't named linda until they hit their 40s <laughs> and start working in hr <laughs> Like, that's an established fact. Yeah. There's no children named Linda. There's no children named Linda. <laughs> it might be a middle name, but they don't start going by it until they hit 42. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Linda. We're, now you're going to get hate mail from Linda. I know. We apologize to all the Lindas out there. <laughs> you're beautiful, just like your name suggests. <laughs> Correct. Youthful and energetic. Yes. Yes. Um, well, do you have anything, any other thoughts about uh, Pete Rose here and are any connections with Back to the Future? I'd be curious to know his opinion, like in w- imagining in the movie scape, mm-hmm. what Pete Rose's opinion on taking 
the the almanac would be. Oh, that's a good good a good thought experiment. <laughs> like, would, would what side of uh, which side of uh, history would he be on in this? Yeah, would he? He's be- kind of a weird guy. I mean, because yeah. he sings baseballs now. Where he started signing them. Sorry, I bet on baseball. But then he started doing really weird stuff of like. Sorry, I shot JFK. And what? Like, and pretty, like, he, like, started making up, like, really weird ones where he would sign baseballs of, like, just, like, completely bizarre things Whoa. that he was not involved in. Whoa. So it's, like, almost like he's still trying to, like, so it's, like, a sorry, not sorry, basically. Yes. Like, sorry I bet on baseball, but I'm also sorry I did all this other stuff that I didn't do, so maybe I didn't also do that. I feel like he's really not sorry. <laughs> no, I don't think he is at <laughs> and all. And that's the thing, is I feel like if he showed any kind of real contrition, mm-hmm. I think he, they, baseball commissioners would probably forgive him, because there was talk of it a few years ago, yeah. especially surrounding when Cincinnati had the All-Star game in 2015, I believe. Was it 2015? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. 2015. Yeah. Um, so... That would have been a weird tie-in, too. But, oh, yeah. Um, uh, I don't think he's really terribly sorry. No. He doesn't strike me as a very humble person. No. So I think that would be, yeah. There was a Super Bowl commercial two or three years ago that he was in, and I can't even remember what it was for, but it was an extended riff of him, like, in his own hall. Yes. I house, remember this. In his much younger wife yes yelling at him about something do you know if that's his real wife i think that it is okay because i kind of couldn't figure out if this was like a tv commercial vanity wife <laughs> i think that his that is his actual that's his real life vanity wife correct <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well, Pete Rose, don't send us uh, I know. hate mail. <laughs> yeah, no hate mail, please, from Pete Rose also. I love you forever, actually. Uh, yeah, Danielle is a huge baseball fan. That is true. She knows way, way more about baseball than certainly I do, which is <laughs> next to nothing. High <laughs> <laughs> praise indeed, then. Yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much could have picked about anyone and said that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's hop in our DeLorean and go to 1955. We are going to, if you're standing in front of the painting, you're going to turn to your right and find your way to Gallery 211. (laughs) We've gone back in time. Yep, we've crashed through uh some trees is that what happens when he goes back to 1955 yeah because he's he he ends up like in pretty close to the subdivision right yeah but it's like not it hasn't been built yet it's like the future site of yes yes so shady acres or whatever (laughs) (laughs) lion estates is that i i feel like aren't there is there something with like lions or is it just like the oh it may be Again, these are b- terrible things to be saying because people are just like, you dummies, don't you, you know? jerks. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm not looking up that one. But <laughs> <laughs> but the town is Hill Valley, right? Hill Valley. Okay, all right. See, I know that California. one. California, yes. yes. So, um, so th- admittedly, this is not 1955. We are actually... <laughs> <laughs> we're close. Yeah, we're... Uh, well... 
I tried to find a piece that was in 1955 that also had the right feeling, and I just really couldn't. That was yeah. also on view, of course. That's sure. the other trick. So we are standing, uh, well, we're sitting. <laughs> You're it's welcome. quite luxurious, yeah. actually. The bench is still here. Avail yourself of this yeah, take lovely advantage. padded seat. Yeah. Um, we're in front of Edward Hopper's uh, Son on Prospect Street, and... It's actually from the 30s, uh, 34. My eyes ain't what they used to be. I had to stretch out to see that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we're, we're yeah over 20 years early here. But I just when I I was thinking of a piece, the reason this one stuck out to me is it was the piece that like if I was hearing Mr. Sandman playing in my head, yes. like it would work with this piece. Yes. I mean, I feel like it really does evoke that kind of small town Main Street America that is portrayed in the 1955 yeah. sections of the films. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was, I was like more true to the spirit than uh, the letter. I like it. Yeah. Because I, I realized we I wasn't going to be able to fit everything perfectly into the timeline here. So. Sure. But it's you got don't that. have an ideal collection always <laughs> to, to do Back to the Future to, tours. <laughs> do specifically Back to the Future tours, and you'd be surprised that we don't really like curate with that in mind. Either. We don't have an acquisition budget just to get <laughs> paintings from 1955, 1985, and 2015, and I guess 1885. I mean, if you strike it rich, you could you could maybe give us a gift. I will that put that on my bucket list if I yeah. ever win the lottery. You can be very specific when donating money to the art museum <laughs> about what that you want that money for. I want paintings and works of art that will specifically fit into this timeline of Back to the Future. I think that that's reasonable. Back to the um, Future wing of the Cincinnati <laughs> Art Museum. Please. <laughs> we can do that. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's what I felt. I felt this feels like this this could be Hill Valley, 1955. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, what's so charming about the 1955 scenes in the movies is they do seem to be this perfect embodiment of that 50s life and mm -hmm. that suburban kind of, like I said, small town life of not really the suburbs that we know today, kind yeah. of the sprawling mass of uh, Applebee's and <laughs> Olive Gardens, but, you know... Sunny streets where you can sing Mr. Sandman. Yeah, yeah. And I love Edward Hopper. And this is an interesting one because it doesn't... I feel like a lot of his paintings are very melancholy. Yeah. Um, this one's not as... but I don't know. Like, And this one doesn't have quite as much of that, that tinge of uh, loneliness that a lot of his paintings do. Yeah, there's... I mean... <sighs> It's maybe, a, I guess you could say that the, that sort of lack of any people there True. does have a little bit of that because you don't see anyone out. It's just kind of this empty street. There is maybe mm -hmm. a little bit of that kind of creepy factor that some of his paintings have or just, yeah, more melancholy, like you said, probably not super creepy, but there's mm -hmm. that like, where is everyone yeah. kind of thing. Um, I say it's a beautiful day. You'd kind of expect people to be out. You can see porches, you can see a sidewalk and parked cars, but nobody strolling, right. nobody sitting even on a curb or things like that. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of oddly empty, which is, which is, which is not exactly what, you know, Hill Valley 1955 feels like. No. So, 
Yeah. I, I, in my mind, I was thinking this painting was a lot later. And then the minute I walked up to it, I saw those cars. I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) They're kind of a dead giveaway too, of a time period. Those cars just like stick out right away. Um, well, and cars are such a big part of back to the future. Yeah, that's true. Cause I mean, not only the DeLorean, which is, you know, became so symbolic. I mean, it's, you know, embodiment of the films themselves. I don't think you can look at a DeLorean and not think back to the future. No. My husband actually says that it's a crime if you own a DeLorean and don't have a back to the future related vanity plate. <laughs> like you should be fined. That's true. <laughs> like, or if you get annoyed when people want to talk to you about back to the future, it's like you're like, no, you made this bed. You yeah, got to sleep yeah, in it, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> but, like, why uh, can't anyone talk about any other fun, the fine features of DeLoreans? Like <laughs> the fine craftsmanship of the British, <laughs> Highlands. Or are they British? I didn't, they are British. I did not know it was that. a small British company, and I feel like it was in Birmingham or hmm. Bristol somewhere. They were failing pretty hard. Yeah, I think they were maybe already failed by the time the movie was made. Oh. and they actually had a hard time getting. I may be making this up. <laughs> Please direct all hate mail towards Russell. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is one that it's at least not about like our own collection. So if we're wrong about this, like, you know, IMDb or Wikipedia will tell us all of the fun facts about DeLoreans. But uh, in terms of cars, Biscar is also, you know, a big part of. Yeah, the films. Yeah. And, um, you know, constantly being raced and held on to with. <laughs> makeshift skateboard you're right exactly and filled with manure (laughs) correct in every time period does that happen in every time i believe that it does okay he doesn't have a car in 85 1885 that's true he does get fall into a cart of right old timey (laughs) (laughs) the manure was so different then it was it was green i watched the scene this morning (laughs) <laughs> like what is that I guess the horses ate different stuff <laughs> hard to get good quality manure yeah. in the, the 19th century <laughs> so obviously um, in in the movie this is the, the reason Marty McFly goes back is to uh, reunite his parents uh, to keep them keep them together um, so that he can be born well, I mean, it's not the reason he goes back in the first place. He has to do all that stuff because he oh, interrupts the timeline. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he just goes back because he's just testing out, right? He's just testing Doc's And then he just happens. Time and then yeah. he interrupts his dad peeping on that's Lorraine. Right. I forgot about that scene. And knocks him out and he has a and concussion. And then he starts to disappear in the photos. Yeah, so. and so that's when he realizes he the opportunity when his parents first met didn't occur. So he has to create another way that they get together. Right. Thus creating all of the hijinks (laughs) of the film. Right. (laughs) And inventing rock and roll. Yep. (laughs) Listen to this. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's say Marty has successfully done that. He's gotten back to 85. Yes. And he and Jennifer are on the porch. Jennifer one. Jennifer, he and Jennifer one are on the porch. <laughs> and uh, but there's there's trouble. 
because we have to go to the future now to help his kids. Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go to the future. Uh, so we are going to go to gallery 222. It's going to be kind of uh, around the corner on the what we call the ambulatory. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> We're, we're back on the, we're back on the porch, but now with Jennifer number two. Jennifer number two, Elizabeth Shue. Yes, I wonder if there are. Do you, there's got to be some bogus like fan theories that like try to make up like an alternate timeline <sighs> to explain the Why switch in Jennifer's and like the Jennifer's switch and, and I guess George's too because Crispin Glover's not in any. Crispin of the, Glover isn't in it, and there was actually a lawsuit over Crispin Glover. Yeah. Because he's a super weirdo. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. A fascinating weirdo, though. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, they settled out of court, and it was for like 700 some thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, IMBD trivia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always good for something. Well, we are uh, now looking at a big plate. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is just simply called number 22, and I am going to massacre this artist's name because I don't really know how he says his last name, but Ooh. it's Klaus Moji? Mohe? Moya? Moya? Okay. I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm snowballing with yeah, you here. It's Australian. It's, uh, so I don't But, know. I mean, they're an immigrant population right. as America is, so yeah. it could be of any extraction. Yeah, I got no idea. So I don't actually know. Sorry. Um Again, so many hate mail letters this episode. <laughs> so Klaus fans. Klaus, Klaus's buddies, friends of Klaus. <laughs> please, <laughs> please, please uh, just direct all your hate mail to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, again, timelines aren't exactly uh, right. We're not in 2015 with this uh, piece because this was, but this was made only a few years after uh, Back to the Future 2 came out. So this piece mm-hmm. is from 1991. Yes. And I just couldn't resist picking this piece because it looks so much like that 1989 view of, of the what, future yeah. would be. Yeah, it, it really does. It looks exactly like the inspiration board for the <laughs> 80s cafe that they were making. Yeah. Um, it looks like an alternate design that you could probably get on the hoverboards like there's the two little girls that he went up to to take the the boards from Mm -hmm. i'm like the other girl was writing this model (laughs) guaranteed yeah those the neon colors are so like yes late 80s early 90s and that orange there's something about that neonish orange Mm -hmm. that just embodies that yeah that like 89 90 Nickelodeon yeah look this is yeah this piece is so kind of over the top I, I love it I I want it in hat form ooh that would be nice I'm probably very heavy yeah <laughs> if you could replicate those colors and we you got know, 3d felt. printers right that's, that's for sure they do everything now like just the future is now well I was re- I was uh reading about his process and he he uses like individual pieces of glass Mm. like and so a lot of the you know pieces and behind us say like uh there's a a big uh 
kind of vase behind us that looks like it was blown in the traditional hot glass way where, mm-hmm. um, where that form was all worked on. Um, on the tube. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> uh, may not be the right term. I don't think for it is, but blowers. I can't really remember what they say. But um, this one is is made by actually like a, a mold. So all of the different colored pieces would be like individual little pieces of glass that were laid out on top of a mold. Interesting. And then um, heated in a kiln, and all the glass melted and fuses together to create the the form. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a really interesting process too of how how they do this, um, how they get those colors in there. And when you look at it, you can kind of start to see it starts to make sense how like all these stripes and things were individual little mm-hmm. pieces, and then they kind of get all melty together. That's why the edges start getting a little fuzzy. Yeah, and you can see kind of other layers, like there's sort of transparent layers. As I in say, front. I like the clear, transparent layers that interweave throughout the overall design. Yeah, and they kind of give this little interesting effect of like depth Mist and, and yeah, depth like yeah, because they put a push back and obscure it a little bit. Yeah, and, um, and so you can kind of even see where the like the edge of the other colors are kind of pulled forward, which is probably just simply that like that was below it, so it melted mm-hmm. down closer. And, yeah, into yeah. the the mold base. Yeah, so and it's got such a like. I don't know. It's like a really pleasing surface. Like I really would love to touch this. I was about to say I really want to touch it. I know. It's very, don't touch the art. Very good that it's in a glass case because yep. uh, I would totally want to touch that surface. Like it just feels like it's got that nice like. It's got a matteness to mm-hmm. it that you don't usually see with a lot of glass work. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess it's not like obviously frosted in the way that you would tend to associate with kind of that matte glass yeah. and things like that. So it, it seems to have an innate matteness, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But it makes me want to touch it. Yeah, I It know. almost looks soft. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. There's a softness to it because it is not... I Maybe mean, that's why I want a hat version. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I was thinking about how the that effect also comes across in certain places is very painterly. Mm-hmm. Like these the big sort of yellow and black stripes here on the side. They feel just like almost like brush strokes in the way they, they flow. Yeah. So it's, again, I like when uh, materials kind of pretend to be other materials. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So any other things you, I mean, obviously this one is sort of totally abstract too. So it doesn't really have a lot of to connect with in terms of plot of, of the movie, but it's just, but it it literally aesthetically, I, it was Pepsi Max's dream board. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess, you know, while we're in the, the 1989 envisioning of 2015, I mean, all of the products that they've come up with and how in 2015 most of those products were made a reality by the different companies that still exist. So they made Pepsi Perfect. It was like limited edition. And instead of costing $45, it cost like $20. So reasonable still for Pepsi. But uh, the self-lacing sneakers Mm -hmm. um, that all got auctioned off on eBay, apparently. Yeah. and the USA Today even had a special front page where they had the the futuristic logo and some of the headlines from the movie. Hmm. 
Yeah, I love that idea of having to sort of engineer, especially the sneakers, like having to yeah. engineer this product that, you know, never really existed. And so you have to go back and like, okay, yeah. but now it has to work. Yeah. You know, it can't just be a prop that is really, you know, just somebody pulling a string somewhere to make it tighten. Yeah. Um, now you have to make it real. Well, and the biggest disappointment, I guess, well, having never actually tried one, but the, the hoverboards that aren't actually hoverboards. Right. <laughs> and I just, my amusement is just garnered from the YouTube videos of people crashing into stuff when they're trying to use them. <laughs> Do you remember, like, I, I feel like when I was a kid, um, that was basically everyone, the, there was a lot of kids who were like, no, they like, they really made a hoverboard. Yeah, because Zemeckis, the director, Robert Zemeckis, like said something like, oh yeah, they're magnetic forces or is what makes them work and Mattel's made these and they just yeah. they're too dangerous or something like he it was all tongue-in-cheek like he was joking yeah but people did not realize that obviously and the internet did not exist at least for most people right and um people apparently inundated Mattel with calls and it created this urban legend essentially that the hoverboards really existed and yeah, they were totally. just like the government was keeping them from us, <laughs> but it was actually the actors, their feet were, um, secured to what was literally just a wooden board. Yeah. And then it was wires yeah. that they painted out in post. So it's a lot less interesting how they did it. But <laughs> yeah, that's because Robert Zemeckis really was like, yeah, these totally exist and it's magnets. And it and it was probably just, you know, the Mattel just couldn't make it work because the, once they found out they didn't work on water, they were like, well, why even bother? Why? why <laughs> Nobody's going to want these. You can't. You've got to have the power. <laughs> yeah, not without the power. And not it's just too power. costly for, for the average consumer to, yeah. to buy the, the power version. Or the pit bull. Yeah, that's what it's. It was, I was trying to say, like, going to call it like the Mad Dog, but that's that's uh, Mad were, Dog Tanners, right? Funny you should say that. They were originally going to call it the Mad Dog, uh, which was an allusion to yeah. the character in the the Western world, the eighteen eighty five world. And but I, I don't know why they didn't end up going with that, but it was changed to the I think the Pit Bull. Yeah, Mister Worldwide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something we did have in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> so they yeah. were successful in predicting the rise of Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> so, congrats. You're making me really looking forward to Pitbull's uh, New Year celebration. Oh, yeah, it sounds amazing. <laughs> Miami, here I come. <laughs> well, since we're sort of talking about... Um, the Western world. Maybe it's time to hop in the DeLorean again. I guess that we're skipping some stuff, actually, if, if we're going to go through the uh, Back to the Future timeline, because Back to the Future 2 is like the most complicated one. Yeah. So they start out that, I mean, it literally picks up with new, new Jennifer. Jennifer. Right. But as if like, you don't know. They've notice. refilmed everything. Yeah. The exact same scenes at the end of the original uh, original movie. Uh, with Elizabeth Shue now as mm -hmm. Jennifer, they go to 2015, in which, and then they have stated in, in the, Robert Zemeckis stated that he really wished Jennifer hadn't gotten in the car. They hadn't filmed her in the car at the end of the first one because he was like, he didn't really want to deal with her. <laughs> right, yeah. They, they just like, and they kind of, they, 
they do just have her sort of hiding a lot of places and yeah they like knock her out and then she comes to and the police take her home to her house and that's kind of it provides a way for us to find out all this information about what's going on in their lives and then um lorraine and comes in with the dehydrated pizza and like gives the whole backstory for no apparent reason right. in her awful old lady voice. Oh, it's so bad. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I remember thinking when I, when I was a kid that Back to the Future 2 was my favorite of the franchise and now I'm like, "Oh no. No. It's that's the the first one is One the is Yeah. King of my heart. Yeah, one is amazing actually. I I watched, I think there's nothing wrong with one. Yeah, it's pretty great. So I, yeah, but that old lady voice is real bad. And then she continues. So they think they, they've gone back to, yeah, it's, it's so bad. Like, oh, Marty, how are you? (laughs) She's also like, I mean, how old would she be at that point too? Like she's talking. She's 30 years older. I mean. Well, from 85. So she would have been like, I think. 60s oh okay i'm thinking okay but yeah so 70s maybe but even then i feel like you don't go from sounding yourself to being like russell (laughs) right it doesn't yeah i'm gonna tell you about marty's car accident right now because it's very pertinent to our conversation (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just like it's so like so cartoony old lady voice. It is. Yeah. And what killed me too was when they go back to the alternate alternate nineteen eighty five and she's married to Trump Biff. Yeah. She continues to do it but then slips out of it a bunch. <laughs> like she keeps going back and forth, but she's also have she's like got huge fake boobs. Oh yeah. That are like hanging out of her Yeah. Sequindy dress. <laughs> and they're really fake looking too. Like Yes. I just remember. Well, they referred to as fake. Like That's they true, are but they, supposed to be fake. They don't look like fake like implants. They look like fake like prosthetics. Like a chest plate. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's not just, no. it's like all. They're drag queen boobs. Yes, exactly. Like all of, everything under below her neck looks un- unreal. Yeah. It looks like a Nina Bonina Brown chest piece. <laughs> um, uh. But like she starts out talking in the old lady voice in those scenes and then yeah. like we'll snap out of it and then go back into it. And I have no idea why she'd be doing the old lady voice. There. Right. Yeah. Cause it doesn't really make any sense for like from Marty's perspective or anything of like why she would sound like that. Yeah. It's, huh. it, it was very bizarre watching it and it was something cause I had been a long time since I'd seen part two. So I rewatched it this morning and that was the part I was like, what is going on? So bad. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Well, all right. But anyway, yeah, there's alternate timelines. We yes. go to so alternate they go back. 1985. So because Biff gets the book, old Biff in the future, in 2015. Because Marty has this brilliant idea. He sees this book. The lady sells it to him, comments on how rare the dust jacket is, and isn't it funny that books used to be published with dust jackets, which becomes a plot point later, oddly enough. (laughs) Um, And then Doc talks him out of it, and Marty's like, yeah, that's a horrible idea. But Biff overhears this, takes the idea, hitches a ride back to 1955, gives it to himself, 
the same day of the lightning strike. Right. Thus altering the timeline, creating the alternate 1985, which is a hellscape. Yes. (laughs) With Lorraine's fake boobs. Right. (laughs) And so, yeah, from there, they then have to go back to 1955 again. Right. To prevent Biff, old Biff, from giving 1955 Biff mm-hmm. himself. And the dust jacket comes back into play because young Biff fools Marty by putting an ooh-la-la magazine in the <laughs> dust jacket of the almanac. So Marty thinks he has triumphed over Biff by getting the almanac, but he realizes that, oh no, it is just ooh-la-la. He keeps saying it like, ooh-la-la, ooh-la-la. <laughs> I love that. I, <laughs> ooh la la. All right. Well, uh, so it's from 55 that the the DeLorean gets, what happens? It gets struck by lightning and Doc Brown yes, disappears. and he disappears. And yeah. it seems that Marty is stranded. Right. But then all of a sudden in the rain, this car drives up and it's these mysterious dudes in trench coats and they hand him this portfolio looking mm-hmm. thing. And he's like, what's this? And they're like, we're from Western union and we've had this letter for 70 years. And it's, it's count Floyd from SCTV, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> count Floyd is there. See, don't send us hate mail. We have such good trivia. <laughs> so that's like always stuck with me. The, the guy is the, the guy who delivers the letter is count Floyd. It is count Floyd. And, uh, he opens it up and it's this, Big letter from Doc telling, informing him that he is now in 1885. Um, and so Marty runs to 1955 Doc, who has just seen Marty successfully off Back to the Future with the lightning strike. And he's, you see, we see his celebratory scene from the end of the first one. Um, and he, of course, confuses him. And he's like, I thought you, I just sent you back. And he's like, no, it's me, a different me. I'm back again. Right. And then uh, that's the end of two and basically the start of three as well. And from 1955, they then go back to 1885. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hop in our DeLorean then and go to 1885. Hopefully we won't run into a band of murderous Native Americans. Uh, No promises. Um, Okay. (laughs) So we're going to go back the way we came, actually, uh, close... uh, Closer to uh, 211, where we just were, uh, to Gallery 216. <laughs> All right, so... Oh, no! There is a band of murderers, Native American. Oh! Fooled you. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're in front of roping fresh mounts. I guess they're not murderous. They're not. Yeah, they're just they're just roping fresh mounts. That's well, all. and really, they could have been in the movie roping fresh mounts. That's and true. He just kind of got in the way. I mean, I'd be surprised too if I was in 1885 roping some fresh mounts and a DeLorean. Yeah. Came out in the middle of it. Yeah. So this is by uh, an artist named Charles Marion Russell. Oh yeah. Cool last name, dude. And <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually probably. My favorite part of Back to the Future 3 is the way he goes into 
the past is by going like they're at that drive-in, drive-in theater. theater that's all like painted with like western stuff yeah isn't it's got it? like this giant mural of like a band of native americans on horses yeah yeah and so he it's like it's just I think it's one of the more clever nods to the fact that like that movie is more about like Western movies than mm-hmm. than certainly it is about probably actual, you know, like what the time, you know, it's just, oh, it's, yeah. it's about like, it really is like just fills in all the like cliched moments of a Western movie oh. that you expect. Um, and so the fact that like it goes right, like, like literally like drives through the screen basically yeah. into a Western movie yeah. in the most like kind of typical scene. And he's wearing really this funny. ridiculous 1955 conception of 1885, right. like Western clothes. Yeah. That's he looks right. Like Roy Rogers or somebody he's like <laughs> yeah. pink shirt with a bunch yeah. of fringe on it. <laughs> That's like right. Gene Autry, like about to go. <laughs> right. There's like fringe involved, isn't there? A lot of fringe. Yes. And I'm really, I'm almost positive the shirt is pink. Yeah. Like bright yeah. pink. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, definitely standing out in this very like muddy world. Yeah. Cause I think there's even a, a, an exchange where Doc is in 1885 is like, who, who dressed you in that? And he's like, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never really thought about that too, that like they are really thinking about a lot of Westerns that were probably made in the fifties too. Yeah. Um, Like at least that sort of that John Ford, you know, kind of. Yeah. They definitely have those landscapes and a lot of the tropes that were Mm -hmm. kind of established in that period. But then you get also the spaghetti Western stuff too. That's true. I mean, not only does he choose the name Clint Eastwood, but in two, you have him, come in when he confronts Biff in the alternate 1985 and he's watching the Clint Eastwood movie mm-hmm. where he has the makeshift bulletproof vests on, which he steals Yeah, the idea of. Yeah. So that, that sort of that look though of Western movies, it's this painting. It's hard not to think of it in like cinematic terms. Oh yeah. Which is funny because it's from 1918. So it's yeah. way before that. And it's fact like, this painting and the the one uh, kind of to our right here mm-hmm. um, really actually kind of helped define that look of, yeah. of Westerns and in movies. Yeah. So they predate that, but are really setting it up. Yeah. Well, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, into I love the sky in yeah. this painting. It's. Just almost an unnatural color. Yeah, yeah. But if you've been out west and you've been in those deserts in the sunset at times, it's you do get those ridiculously brilliant colors. Um, yeah, it's a it's a super colorful painting. I mean, even if you look at the things that are sort of in shadow, there are actually quite a lot of interesting sort of deep kind of plum colors mm-hmm. and these like sort of it's really hard to actually pick out, like, if you look at the plants, like, if you were to isolate the color of that um, bush, it's really, like, a blue. Yeah, I was going to say it's blue, almost turquoise. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's one of those fun things where in in the painting, in the context, it, it, it doesn't read that way. It, mm-hmm. Like, it, because we know, oh, well, we're looking at a bush. It's probably some sort of greenish color. Mm-hmm. But it's really not. Like, if you really look at the paint, um, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's very blue. Yeah, and it's it's one of those 
it's a great moment to to really think about the relativity of color. <laughs> It truly is. <laughs> but, you know, things things can read as other colors um, in, in context. In context, yeah. You know, they might, it might, if isolated, would feel like one thing. And even that color, which might, you know, if you were to take that color and then, like, paint your walls with it, for instance. You would be shocked at how blue it is, right, I think. Right, right, yeah. You would be like, oh, my gosh, that's... Well, and you, I mean, it's a very dusty scene in mm-hmm. this because there's, you know, the horses are being rounded up and um, there's a lot of movement from the herd and there's a lot of dust and we kind of just read it as dusty. But yeah. then you look at some of it, especially on the left side of the painting, that's a really kind of vermilion orange almost. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like in, yeah, in the dust, you mean there? Like yeah. Because there's that figure on the horse to the left and kind of that that dust near the ground near his feet and it's it's really orange i feel like if you compare that color with the fire on mm-hmm. the other opposite end of the painting they're really similar they're very probably. actually similar yeah. colors yeah yeah like he's catching that sort of sense of that sunset hitting the dust and mm-hmm. but definitely a little more exaggerated probably sure. than, it, <laughs> than it would really be <laughs> that pink light that's on the the neck of this the horse that's the closest to yeah. us is just so intense yeah. And again, that horse has a lot of kind of blue and mm-hmm. and other colors in it that, you know, we don't think horses are blue, but we look at that and see a white horse. Right. It's just like Maybe uh, gray, but it's just like is the dress golden golden white or black <laughs> and blue. blue. It's all that all over again. Wasn't was that from 2015? I was about to say I, I think that was 2015. <laughs> Let's say it was. It yeah, might have been 2016. I yeah, I don't remember exactly. But I, I think it was, I, I feel like it was 2015. I don't know. Close enough. I'm going to, well, we're going to go ahead and say it is. Yes. Okay. We can just alter. We're, we went if back you're in time and altered on, the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The newspapers are changing before your eyes, people. <laughs> <laughs> the headlines have changed. Dressgate now happened in 2015. <laughs> it's a weird headline. <laughs> I did actually see both. I like I could I did it like once. Yeah, I um what what was your initials? What did you I see? I saw in- a black and blue dress. Oh see, I was always white and gold. But I looked at it one a few times and I was able to see the white and gold before okay. I saw black and blue again. See, and, and that was like maybe my thing was that I understood why people saw I could understand why people saw the blue maybe um, because I understood again, like it felt like it was a white and gold dress in bluish light was yeah. how I read it. So no, again, see, it was I saw context. It like black and blue. Yeah. And oh but, man, we're just rehashing this 2015 debate all it's, over. It's again. really topical. <laughs> so we too. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember. It it was a it, it was a real fun day. It really was <laughs> when we all just those pants computers got to work out. Can't get enough of uh, how crazy. Well, any other thoughts? We really didn't talk at all about the plot of Back to the Future Three because See, I don't think you really need to. I mean, we yeah we chatted about this a little bit. It's uh, the original idea for Back to the sequels of Back to the Future was one film in which the plots of both two and three were in one movie. Yeah. Um, and you see two is quite complicated and really hops around all over the place in the timelines. Um, so I think that's why they split off and were like, oh, we'll make three completely separate. But there's, 
honestly not a lot that happens. Because yeah. he literally just goes back to save Doc Brown from being in the hellhole of the late 19th century. I think he figures out he oh, dies. He found, he found the gravestone. Yeah. Yeah. So he knows that he's going to die. Like, and so he's and it's like five days after he got the right, letter. Right. Or when the letter was dated. Exactly. So he gets a letter and then he does the research and realizes he's about to die. Yes. So he's going back to save Doc Brown from that. From Mad Dog. <laughs> Mad Dog Tannen. Um, yep. And so, yeah, I, I just, the, all I remember is Mary Steenburgen is is, is lovely. Yes. Like, she's very sweet and nice in that movie. And She's like, I, f- I feel like she's just kind of who she is yeah. and is just put in movies and television yeah, she's shows. Yeah, she's, she's doing just, that Mary Steenburgen thing she does. Just charming, yeah. yeah. But uh, that's really they fall it. fall in love. There's and that- they come back and so they're successful. They avert death a few times. Pulls the Clint Eastwood trick. Uh, he comes back. They have to, the, so the DeLorean breaks though. That's right. And when he hides it in the cave, the fuel line breaks and there's no gas in 1885. Mm-hmm. So they're like, how do we get it up to the speed it needs to be? So they have to use the, the, the train. train, right? And so, but because Mary Steenburgen, <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? Steenburgen. Steenburgen. Virgin. I don't know if that's right, though, but that's how I say it. When, when Mary and I get together, that's, <laughs> that's how you I... You do lunch. <laughs> exactly. That's what I call her. Good old Mary. Um, she falls off the train by her skirt, and Marty saves the day with the hoverboard, but right. Doc and Mary don't get on the DeLorean. Mm. So it's just Marty goes back. and But he goes back to 1985. Everything seems to be great. He's there with... Jennifer Two, Elizabeth Shoe, the mm-hmm. Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. And then like a flying train comes. Right. And it's Doc and Mary and, and their two, two kids, kids Jules, Jules and, and Vern. Vern. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. See, you get the, the the real good facts. Yeah. On this pod. Yeah, about Jules and Vern. Yeah, and one of the kids, uh, Jules or Vern, have you ever seen that uh, internet clip where like somebody they just keep zooming in on the kid, where he just keeps like pointing at his crotch? <laughs> no. Oh, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. So he's just like he's pointing, like it's so weird. Like they they show it like maybe three times. First, it's like the normal scene, and then it just yeah. keeps zooming in until finally you notice that this kid. <laughs> <laughs> like he just does this weird thing that's like really creepy and I think they slow it down where he just kind of like I feel like he taps and then like he's like points like a couple of times like right at his groin pod viewers what you don't see <laughs> is the look of utter disgust on my face <laughs> it's so amazing <laughs> well here's another fun fact about the kids in the sequels of back to the future the tiny kids in uh, the diner, the 80s diner in mm-hmm. 2015, one of them is Elijah Wood in his what? very first movie role. Oh, my gosh. Now I have to go back to watch Lil, Lil Frodo. <laughs> Lil Frodo in the Ghost of the Future. <laughs> Lil Frodo. <laughs> telling him that he had, since he had to use his hands on the video game, it's a game for babies. Oh, so he's one of the kids that's like playing the... They like get the, there's like a cabinet arcade machine uh-huh. that they get to work. And Marty from 85 goes over and it's like, let me show you how it's done. And uh, smokes right. the guys. And it's a Western themed right. game as right. well. And uh, 
the little kids are not impressed by his mad mm-hmm. 85 arcade skills. And they're like, man, you had to use your hands for that? It's a game for babies. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, I, I guess we're supposed to assume that they have all sweet virtual reality. And yeah. Just think about it. It's all power gloves. It's all power gloves. They still have CRTVs, but yeah, you know. right. <laughs> power glove. It's so bad. <laughs> all right. Well, well, thank you, Danielle. I think it's time to, to get, back and, me. get back in our DeLorean and go back to, I don't know what the present is now, 1985 or 2017, whichever you choose to live in. Yeah. Choose your poison. All right. Well, thanks, Danielle. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we are also excited to offer free parking. Like I mentioned before, join the Mount Adams Civic Association for a free showing of Back to the Future 2 on June 22nd at Season Good Pavilion in Eden Park featuring pre-film music provided by Sound Body Jazz Orchestra. The music starts at 7 p.m. and the movie starts at dusk. Special exhibitions on view right now are A Shared Legacy, Folk Art in America, which just opened, William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance, and Tiffany Glass, Painting with Color and Light. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Our theme song is Au Fronde Musicale by Bacalau. If you liked our show, how about you rate and review us on iTunes? I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. <laughs> <laughs>